Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am absolutely excited to have with me here today Craig Machen. Uh, I know Craig from my days at Spelling, and uh, Craig just wrote a brand new book. Let me, uh, a brand new book called Still Life with Brass Pole. We're going to go into the title too. I'm excited. I'm going to talk about the title. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Craig. Craig Machen was raised on and off in Oklahoma with stops along the southeast coast of Florida and central Arizona. A lifelong book, movie, and rock and roll fan, he got his start and a healthy dose of inspiration working concert security in high school and later from a college job at the improv comedy clubs in Tempe and San Diego. After graduation, Craig moved his young family to Los Angeles and became a story analyst for Miramax, New Regency, Jersey Films, Robert Redford's Wildwood Productions, Turner Pictures, and finally the Jim Henson Company, where he got his break as a screenwriter. A new career as a professional writer allowed him to be a stay-at-home dad while his kids were growing up, which has easily been the greatest joy of his life. In 15 years of writing for Hollywood, Craig has worked for Ben Stiller's Red Hour Films, Ivan Reitman's Montecito Pictures, The WB, Jim Henson Pictures, Warner Brothers TV, Paramount Television, Spelling Television, Tolan Robbins Productions, VH1, Viacom, 20th Century Fox, DreamWorks, and many others. Wow. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. He also wrote the award-winning movie Wasted for MTV and the Zac Efron show Summerland. As his oldest son was preparing to head off to college in Oklahoma, Craig turned away from screenwriting and began to write his new memoir, Still Life with Brass Pole. And to give you, before we jump in with Craig, I want to give you an idea of what some of the reviews have been. This is a very, shall we say, it's a, you know, I saw in one of the reviews, Romantic, and I... I loved that description because I thought it's a very lusty book, there's no doubt, but it's also very heartwarming and very romantic and poetic within the darkness. Well, thank you. So, yeah, I think <laughs> that's great. Um, uh, let's see. So the reviews. Sex sells just, just that there are a lot of hurdles to go over before you can get to selling it. Still Life with Brass Pole is a memoir of Craig Machen as he is spurned by the loss of love and finds himself traveling the country to understanding everything and anything that goes on in his screwed up and crazy world. With plenty of humor to be considered within life's characters, Still Life with Brass Poles has its own unique charm and is read and is a read that should strongly be considered. Five stars, Midwest book review. That's great. Um, Next one, Craig Machen, film and television writer, is the author of Still Still Life with Brass Pole, a remarkable memoir about coming of age as a strip club bouncer, 
finding his way amidst a culture of sex, alcohol, and drug abuse and dysfunction, and finally realizing his dream of becoming a dad. Still Life is above all a story of personal redemption, and what struck me most about it was the heart, humor, honesty, and compassion with which Craig writes. Jennifer uh, books personally. Uh, and the last one that I'll read is, oh, it's heartfelt, but for those who require their memoirs to be delivered with kid gloves in purple prose and with kind, clearly marked, reminiscing flashback, get off the train now because it's about to <laughs> derail. <laughs> I love that one, Charlie Cortland, Bitsy Bling Books, five yeah. stars. That is great. Cool. So first of all, congrats to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, the book is really spectacular, and I'm... I'm excited to dive into it because um, my book, Storyline, Finding Gold in Your Life Story, dives into the concept of emotional truth. Yeah. And I feel like your book, probably more so than any book I've read in a long time, really jumps into emotional truth like head first. Well, thank you, Jim. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Uh, so I'm excited. Um, okay. So um, I said, your new book, Still Life with the Brass Paul, is an incredibly revealing look at your life and childhood moments that clearly led to your strength, um, to the strength of your voice as a writer. Yeah. When you wrote this incredible and very memorable memoir, what was your intention? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, my intention was just to sort of get it off my chest and out of my head, to be honest with you. It, it, it was probably the book that I started writing. I'm it's probably the book that I started writing to write. You know right. what I mean? Uh, it, it was just really weighing on me really a, a lot, you know, especially uh, uh, as my, my kids were getting older and, and, and heading off to college and that kind of thing. Um, my intention was just to sort of just to get it, get it out, get it over with, and, and, and maybe move past sort of some of those events. Um, and I'd say mission accomplished in, in, in most ways. For Good. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm very curious. So your kids are college age. Um, Have your kids read the book? Well, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with uh, both of them. Mm -hmm. I had a PG-13 conversation with my younger son, who's a senior in high school, and I had the rated R conversation with my, with my big boy, who's a sophomore at, uh, at OU, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I was, uh, I've never been prouder than when I talked to my boys about it because uh, uh, their reaction was so, we love you, you know. Oh. Yeah, it was great. It was, I love that. I have to say... There are parts of this book where, and I'm going to read some excerpts in a little mm. bit. There are parts of this book where I just completely teared up. Where mm. I also parts where I felt anger, where I yeah. felt really angry and sad that you parts of your childhood were just robbed from you i yeah. mean essentially like some of the basics like security and and yeah. protection and 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 seeing how like what i found fascinating with your book and your voice was you you managed through the book to keep this voice of really kind of observing and interpreting and it seemed like you had an old soul at a mm -hmm. young age to really be able to see and discern some of what was going on around you. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I think 
the hardest part wasn't so much living through the younger years because you don't really have a sense of um, what's supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. You have nothing to compare it to. And yeah. you also have two people or one person and then you have adults around you eventually who are saying, you know, get in line, do your thing. You know, mm -hmm. I think the harder part for me uh, certainly, w uh, you know, we'll get, I guess we'll get into some of the more salacious stuff, but um, was dragging some of that stuff into my romantic relationships, you know, yeah. especially when I was young. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it was just so painful. You know, you, you just, I sort of had this outsized idea about myself, you know, especially when we, uh, when I started working in the strip clubs, you know, uh -huh. that, uh, that I was going to come into someone's life and I was just going to fix it. You know, I was just going to save them, you know, and, and what better place to do that than a strip club, you know, and yeah. I was about 18, 19 at the time. Yeah. And I had basically this John Hughes, uh, romantic notion in my head and it was a kind of a Tracy Lord's reality you know right. and right. I That's couldn't well put. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. really I couldn't really cross the divide I couldn't really tell myself that that this is an impossible situation and furthermore I, you are the one that needs rescuing <laughs> more than anybody right and uh and so anyway um I'm sorry I lost my train of thought <laughs> no no so I think I yeah I, yeah, I understand I mean yeah. when you're thinking about the message and you said so when you were a child right. you didn't know any better yeah, yeah. and and moving through it I mean there were so many pivotal things that happened yeah like when you thought about writing this book and you were formulating mm -hmm. your table of contents right. what went into how you formulated that well that's a really interesting question because I actually started to write the book about 10 years ago. Uh -huh. And my feeling then was more kind of Hunter S. Thompson. Like I if I had written the book then, it would have been a lot, you know, cooler in quotation marks. Right. And um, my attitude would have been more like, yeah, guess what I know? That right. kind of thing, you know. Right. And because I started writing it as my son was going off to college, you know, um, you know, I, I when I finally got out of the the material that the book is based on, you know, I was about 23 when my son was born. Right. And um, and I suddenly had it, you know, a family and all this. And it felt like it was kind of coming to a close, you know. And so when I finally did sit down and start writing the book, when my son was heading off to college, I was brokenhearted, you know. Yeah. I was devastated. I was really sad. And part of being a parent is keeping in this emotional box when you're around your, your kids. There's a performance right. aspect to it for sure. Right. There's a line in The Grapes of Wrath, uh, and I'll paraphrase poorly, but it, it's basically that everything's okay until the father cries. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you don't want to drag that around your kids. It's inappropriate in my opinion. And so, um, and except in very rare circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was trying to keep a brave face, but, but being kind of really sad yeah. let me be more... Um, uh, real about open. the moments and yeah. open, yeah, yeah, and less less put on. Less I mean, there were moments you went into with your relationship with your mom and your dad that so blew my mind in the sense that you wrote from such a place of raw truth yeah. that most people will never have the courage to go to, especially if their parents are still alive. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, so that now, actually, on that note. Have your parents read? Yeah, that's a, that's a real good question. And what know? what I, I'm curious. Yeah, what was the response? Your parents both have read the book. Uh, well, I'm not sure if my dad has. Right. Um, and I feared nothing more than that. You right. Know I mean, that was my big fear, uh, um, especially my dad. My it mother, didn't show in your writing, though. Well, I figured if I was going to do it, you know, 
I, I, this might sound a little grandiose, but right. my heroes are like the Beatles, right? You know? Right. And and uh, you gotta, I mean, you gotta, you want to try and live up to your hero's standards, right? And I figure if I'm gonna sit down and do this, and I'm gonna be on it, I'm gonna tell these stories, then I, I I need to do it with as much honesty as I can muster, you know? Right. And uh, I wanted to have kind of that John Lennon. I'm not comparing myself in terms of yes. quality. No, do you no, know of course. You understand what I'm saying? But yeah. But I definitely want to make that level of effort. So um, have my parents read the book? Well, my mom has. My mom and I don't have much of a relationship. Right. And, and you know, I, I mean, she's maybe seen my kids three or four times wow. ever. So uh, that wasn't so much of a huge consideration for me. Right. My dad and I have been off and on. Right. And sometimes it's uh, good and sometimes it's not. And um, and so I feared there, you know, uh, and to be honest with you, that was pretty much that for me and my dad. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, there's no lies in the book. And and if I guess if he's going to be mad about it, uh, I guess I'm sorry, you know, but. You know, though, but you hit on something that's so true, because I tell people if you write from a place where you're not doing it from a place of malice, but right. you're doing it from a place of emotionally understanding and processing and interpreting your perspective of what went on, nobody can blame you for that. Jen, I think yeah. you are exactly, exactly right. You know? You know? And, and that's the way I sort of, I thought of myself as the father of my son. And if he wrote his book about, about his life, you know, right. I'm sure that there's the mistakes that I made. I can't imagine what they are. Right. <laughs> right. They gotta be in there somewhere. But in a, but even on that question, what would, I mean, on that statement, right. what would, okay. Knowing what you went through, because right. you go into such huge detail and I encourage everybody to read this book because I think it really is a very strong example of, I mean, people have read my book, Storyline, and said, Jen, I can't believe how far you went into your personal life. Yeah. You do a hundred times what I did. Huh. So <laughs> so I really want people to to really look at this as an example of emotional depth at the extreme utmost of a message like message wise, what yeah. what was your message? When you when you sat down, I know you wanted it to come off. Right. And to process and to kind of lift it. What what was the idea of the message behind your telling it? Well, I I tell you, um, that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um I, I probably had two crowds in mind, or if you will, two audiences, and one of them was sort of women in general. Right. And my message there uh was just i'm sorry you know um i felt like uh why uh, is it i'm sorry because it's i'm curious about that because like your mom really should have given you somewhat a negative view of women uh and and yet i feel like you understood her is in the pain and the wound and everything but it's interesting that you would say I'm sorry to women. My my feeling uh, about women growing up right. was, was more that they were angels, you know, right. that, that that men did all the bad in the world, right. you know, and that and that women were basically perfect <laughs> right. until men intruded, you know. Right. And so I feel like that made it a lot easier for me with girls when I was a kid and uh, and women later. But um, my the I'm sorry would just be I felt like. Uh, and I was alone a lot of the time when I was a kid. Uh, um, you know, I had my own apartment when I was about 16 or 17. And 
Um, I feel like, you know, I was a big drinker and I, I blazed through a lot of, I, I, I blazed through probably a lot of people's lives and d- didn't slow down to think about what I might be doing to them. Right. You know, and, um, and that's very honest. Yeah. And I, I feel like so there, I, I was always thinking, I wish I could have been a better person and maybe someone will read this. Maybe, 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 maybe that knew me back then and, and maybe, you know. Understand you better. Understand where you were. Right. That that it wasn't, you know, I mean, this will sound corny to them, but it was me and I was a jerk and I'm sorry. So, and the other, the other one, the other crowd I had in mind, perhaps for obvious reasons, you know, was young guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I guess what I was thinking there was two things. One, one would be, Pay attention to your emotional self. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not it's not weak to do that. It's strong to do that. To, yeah. To, to, to confront that, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you are feeling broken up about something or not right about something, that's something you should you should dial in on and, and, and start to work through. Uh, for sure, you know, and I, a lot of the guys in, you know, the bodybuilding culture that I was in, and certainly in the balancer culture and that kind of thing, were a million miles from that, you know? Yeah. And I, I was sort of, even then felt like, you know, it's it's weird when you're younger, everything's so repressed, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it takes you a while to get through it. And I guess the other thing, uh, the other thing, I hope I'm not rambling on it. No. <laughs> the other thing uh, would be just this, um, and this will be corny. Um, but really, if you, um, if you are lucky enough to find someone to love um, and that loves you back, uh, do that with all your might because... Mm-hmm. Um, there is nothing one-tenth as important in this world, at least to me, than that. You know, you can have lots and lots of money. My dad had the money, right. you know, um, and still be a miserable bastard, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, nothing has helped me or made me feel better than loving love. back. Yeah. But you're, like, I, I think when I, I was looking at it, um, I said some of the things I said. I, I There were moments in reading the book I felt tears welling up, my anger building. I felt so protective for you and so upset that you went through what you went through. Yeah. I appreciate your raw, open, and honest depiction of what it was to go through life with a very dysfunctional upbringing, including incest, drugs, sex, and a hunger for attention <laughs> and love. Yeah. Like, that's what I felt through all of it. Like, you... You were talking about things like incest and drug use and sex, like like almost like a child playing a game. Mm-hmm. Like there was such an innocence with because that was your reality. Right. And that was and you were so hungry for what was on the other side of that that I don't think you could even with your child mind mm-hmm. know the, the depth of what was going on. Well, no, you couldn't. And and a lot of that stuff, uh, I think, I think you, your mind will repress for you mm-hmm. in the moment, mm-hmm. and it will squish down until there's a safer place to, to handle that, mm-hmm. you know. And and so my feeling then was more, and this is probably where the white knight sort of, uh, I'll I'll take care of it, you know, just yeah, just don't worry. The rescuer. I got yeah. this. Um, yeah. That's probably where where that came from for yeah, 
there was so much of that commonality in the strip clubs with uh, with girls that I ran into. That was always their background. Oh, you know, I, I mean, that I is see. that is shared ex- shared experiences. Definitely, yeah. and, you, and you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I wrote a movie one time uh, for MTV that was based on heroin heroin addiction, and I had no real experience with heroin addiction. Right. And um, one of the one of the junkies that I talked to said that if he ran out of drugs on the road, all he had to do was go to a truck stop. And he could just walk through and find the guy to score from, you know. Right. And I thought, man, that 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 kind of radar. I know what you're talking about, you know. Yeah. Same thing, you know. Yeah. You have this background. You have this hurt or whatever. And there's like, you know, this this like, oh my God, this this kid's like me. I could play with them, you know. It's that feeling. Uh huh. And and it was that feeling in the clubs. It really was. Okay. Wow. Wow. I understand that though. Yeah. Like when I think about, you know, writers feeling isolated from one another and saying we're so different. And I do think among writers, like certainly when you go into the strip club, there are people from similar backgrounds that wind up that Mm -hmm. that are drawn to a certain place. But I definitely think um, with writers, they'll say, oh, our stories are so different and we're not alike and this and that. And I remember saying to one writer that the one thing all writers have in common is facing the blank page. Mm. And 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 that brings you together, no matter what your story is, no matter where the emotion is, yeah. that you are all the same. Well, you've been there. Yes, it's, it's I rough, know huh? it is. Well, it's, it was fascinating for me from being an analyst for 17 years yeah. from a uh, executive perspective to being the writer. Yet the mm. interesting thing is when I was at Spelling and you worked on Summerland, um, uh, uh. Aaron Spelling used to always say to me, you should write. Every yeah. time I wrote him a card, I wrote notes on a script, I, he would always say, you should write. And for me, which I go into, is the idea that I was in a dilemma because I knew at the beginning of my career, if I had taken him up and gone the writing path, that I would lose my exposure to him as a mentor, number one, mm-hmm. and I would also lose the security of the 401k and the pension and the security of being in a company. So I opted to go the executive path, but I think the hunger for the writing has always been a part of my spirit. You know, it has definitely been. And I think facing the blank page, having been an executive, I come from the perspective of people will say, well, did you get writer's block when you were writing your book? And I said, you know, it's interesting because... As an executive, you have to be a multitasker and get everything done. So I came from the perspective that every time I faced the blank page, no matter what came out, it had to get done. Mm -hmm. So it, it helped. You know, it definitely helped the fear, but there's certainly... The work ethic helped the fear. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. The work ethic helped the fear. The voice, I think... um, I wrote blogs for the Huffington Post for two years in preparation of the book. So that helped as well because it was really finding and defining what your voice is. And and really, like for me, I think everything your voice comes from, which is why I commend you so much, is your pivotal life moments. In in the the moments in your life when your world was turned upside down and reality as you knew it shifted. Mm-hmm. So those are moments that I, I go into in most of what I write. Yeah. Because that's what connects people. Yeah, you know, I you think know? Tim Fitzgerald say something like again I'll I'll bastardize what he said, but Writers have basically three stories to tell. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got three hellacious yeah. moments in your life. Yeah. And the fallout 
that happens and yeah, you can disguise right. them. And, yeah, you're right. I, I, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I, first of all, I want to go, I want to definitely jump into, um, into reading um, some excerpts from your book. And Great. I want to give people an idea because I think it's only through words that we get um, a sense of the depth. Um, okay. So uh, let's see. The first one is, I love this. This is so, again, raw and real. Uh, Mom's love is a hall of mirrors, and I never know where she's coming from or even which one she really is. She invites me to live with her in Arizona, but only when she's sure I'll say no. She lobbies for shelter from the tempers of her husband's but instigates with impunity. And if she says she misses me, it's always with the implication that our separation is my doing. It is exhausting and I don't want to go, but she guilted me until I agreed, then acted like she was doing me a favor. She is a master of these games, and I pity the men in her life until I remembered that I was one of them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so that's so honest it's funny too because i've dated that woman three or four times right well, right you know isn't that I mean? the, isn't that wild it's yeah, so yeah, yeah, wild yeah. when you look at the moments in your life and let me grab a couple others actually let me while i'm looking for this let me ask you what um yes. what what is your favorite pivotal moment in this book like where did you feel the depths of your voice coming out the most mm, that is a really good question um I think in the book, there's a couple of pivotal moments. One was when I got, uh, I was 13, and I just spent this hellacious uh, summer with my with my uh, dad. My mother and my dad had just reconciled. And um, kind of going back through, uh, I, I got, there was, all, it was really awful. It was about four months of just awfulness, straight awfulness. And then I got thrown out of the house, and then I got sent to live in Oklahoma. Right. And there, it was kind of going back through that, and then kind of at the end of it, too, um, uh, the the part where I met my wife, you know, and I, 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 uh, my ex-wife, you know. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, it was really interesting. I, you know, I had all these these. Uh, I had gotten myself into all these nightmare situations by overestimating my own abilities. Right. And, uh, um, uh, you know, it was just one after the other, kind of, kind of just these catastrophic uh, romantic uh, entanglements or whatever. And and I, I met her, and you know, she had a lot of the same issues that everybody else did in that in that situation right but she was not a party uh -huh. she wouldn't party and uh -huh. and she slowed me way down as a matter of fact the first night we went out uh we went to breakfast after uh work one night at the denny's you know uh -huh. i was a big spender back then <laughs> 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 anything you want sweetheart it's on me and um, you know, I love that. and so uh and so anyway i, I like i had uh, like a like a half a eight ball of cocaine in my pocket and I was like, hey, you want to do some coke? And she was like, <laughs> the look on her face was like, I had just asked her to go grave robbing or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. absolutely not do I want to do any coke, you know? And and so I was like, at that moment, I was like, okay, all right, let's go outside and throw this away then. You know what I mean? It cost me $150, but let's go throw it away. And so we did, you know? And uh, so from there, I got off steroids. I got off. I got off a lot of other bad habits, and wow. um, it was not comfortable. You know, yeah. you shrink, and you, you, your, 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 your coping mechanisms, your, your, your armor, and all that stuff just drops away. Yeah. 
Uh, but that but then was, the writing begins. But then the writing yeah. begins, right? Yeah. I yeah. think that now, okay, so now here, uh, let's see. First, I want to go into the parents thing because I thought, I think the, um, it's an excerpt on your um, parents' personal sexual incompatibility, <laughs> which I was like, oh my God, that's so observant yeah. from a child's perspective. So you write, my parents' personal and sexual incompatibility was as obvious as our next-door neighbor's toupee, and try as he might, dad couldn't do anything to make his marriage more authentic or his mother less miserable. Uh, so he gave up quickly. He would come home from work, walk straight to his bedroom, emerge to eat dinner, and then sit at the table smoking cigarettes and mashing them out in his plate while grandmother would read aloud from the most morbid stories in the paper. Uh, I thought, cool, dad's humor is kind of creepy and graphic. Oh, actually, this is continuing on uh, into another paragraph. Cool, dad's humor is kind of creepy and graphic, but maybe this is him reaching out. Soon, though, the jokes stop feeling like jokes, more like a warning or a sign of things to come. And right around this time, he asked me, have you ever had a blowjob? I hadn't, and I came waiting for the punchline, but it never came. By then, maybe a month after our arrival back at Boca, he had already started busting into my room, always laughing and smiling, trying trying to shove his fingers up my ass. <laughs> that was so... These moments would happen fast, almost like he was checking to make sure he could still do it, and I was resisting and basically being overpowered, but I didn't know what to make of it or even what to call it. I knew I didn't like it, and it wasn't funny to me, but at least initially, there was a nervous laughter as I tried to get my face to match my feelings and figure out what was going on. Yeah, You hit these moments in your writing where, I mean, it, it, it is incredible how you term it, how you coin it, how you process these crazy life moments that certainly at that age you can't begin to understand that was you know that was um it's really weird i you know you after that happened you know or in the moment there i, I went out to ask my mom you know because mm -hmm. i didn't realize my father was gay at that point not that gay is the deciding bit there right. at all you know what i mean right um the deciding bit's another thing altogether but uh it struck me as gay behavior right uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Uh, the choice of me over my sister. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I went and asked her. I was like, you know, is dad gay? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and I remember I was 13. I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Why are you guys getting back together? Why don't we just move all the way across the country to do this, you know? And uh, and I don't know. The, the, the careful, I was careful to explain it. Uh, it was That was the hardest part of the book probably to write that bit. Yeah. Uh, because I just... I, I, I just wanted to, to get it right in case, you know, again, kind of grandiose, but if someone else had been through that, you know, part of what happens is you're, you kind of tell yourself, no, it didn't happen. You know yeah. what I mean? No, it wasn't what I thought it was. No, he just has a weird way of bonding or whatever, you know, like this. And because you're a child hungry for love right, and right, approval. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. don't want to think the worst of your parents. Even, even in that situation, you don't want to think the right. worst of your parents. Right. And um, anyway, so I appreciate the nice words about the writing. I, I, I chose my words really carefully there. I, I, I wanted to get it exactly right, you know? Well, it's interesting because I worked with a writer recently who wanted to write a book very similar to what you wrote, who wow. had, who also came up in the strip clubs, and it was mm -hmm. a female perspective. And 
some of the experiences that were conveyed to me were so deep and so raw from like the age of 12. And it was like, I can't wait to tell her about this book. Yeah, she she wasn't ready to tell the story ultimately and and I think you definitely were like when you talk about 10 years ago mm-hmm. what if you had written it I don't think it was ready to be birthed 10 years ago no I don't think, I don't so think it was yeah. I think writing happens when it's ready but I totally agree with you and I think there's a there's a gestation period yeah. built, built in right yeah that can feel like procrastination and sometimes it is procrastination but but really it needs to gestate it needs to like a baby does you know yeah. and in writing can be premature I, I've certainly written my share of stuff that was not it was undercooked things right. like that you know yeah this this thing was ready thing it was felt ready. ready yeah and it shows that it was ready thank you it definitely does <laughs> um well first of all I want to thank you for le- allowing me to share that with everyone because certainly. I know that's yeah. A very vulnerable thing, and that's what writing's all about. Um, so, since you've written this book, because mm-hmm. it is so personal, right. what has your experience been like in the interviews? How do you feel with people diving into these moments? I made my peace with people diving into the moments uh, when I finished. You know, um, and so I'm okay with it. I really am. Uh, I had the strangest experience when I got done, though. Um, uh, I felt so nervous mm-hmm. before it came out, you know, mm-hmm. that that I was going to ruin everything for everybody, you know. And then once it came out, you know, and especially once I talked to my big my, my sons, you know, um, I felt this weight come off of my shoulders. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, f- people probably know uh, shifting out of screenwriting to write a book is not the shrewdest financial decision you will ever make in of your course. life. Yes. <laughs> you know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, screenwriting has. I do know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Screenwriting has benefits. Yes. There's a union. Book writing is not that situation. And um, book writing is not lucrative. It's for the love of the art. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, uh, but. I felt this massive weight come off of my shoulders. You know, I was I was overbuilding a uh, chicken coop for Mother's Day with my son for his mom, and um, and I just I was like, wow, it's all right. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Everything's fine. And um, you know, I I met some great people through it, and uh, you know. Um, uh, Are you gonna do like the speaker route? Like go like when I think about something like this, I, I mean, you could be a, an incredible motivator motivator for people who've gone through similar life experiences is that something that that you like the idea of or no actually sure i would i would talk to anybody i, I do a lot of teaching in like writers conferences and stuff i'm teaching right. uh, i'm teaching i say shout out to my kids right now um i'm teaching a, a class at the orange county high school for the arts right now television production you know oh great oh, they're just the greatest people in the universe i just love them so much um, oh that's sure great. I'll, I'd love to do something like that maybe i should talk to you about it i'm a terrible self-promoter yeah no no <laughs> i will tell you all of about it do you know what i look at promotion as here's how i view promotion i when i got into this four years ago Mm -hmm. um the marketing and then certainly when i wrote the book my feeling was i know what i know about my book is that it number one i think it can help people open up to the concept that everything they're looking for on the outside is inside right so for me for them to simply get that message, if it means me self-promoting, mm-hmm. knowing that the breakthrough can lead to them making a lot of money and finding their voice, then I will self-promote. Yeah. Like that's how I view self-promotion. I view it as 
for you the information that you're going to give people that can help them with their lives and know how to move past a certain type of trauma is invaluable. So when you look at the message and you go, if the message is good for the betterment of all versus just being about you, then self-promotion become, has a whole different meaning. Well, that's a great way to look at you it. Know? Yeah. Yeah. it is, it is really looking at that. So I think, I think you would be a tremendous speaker, and I definitely will speak to you about that. Um, all right, so with that, why don't we take a break? We are here with Craig Machen, and we will come back and discuss all of your feature film experience, your TV experience, advice you have for writers. So I am very, very, very thrilled to have you here. Uh, Thank you so this much. is Jen Grisanti. You are welcome. <laughs> we'll be right back. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. Okay, we are back with Craig Machen. I pronounced your last name right, yeah. right? Okay, good. Um, and let's go into going into your professional career as a writer over the sure. past two decades. Tell me about the high points of your journey. The high points of my journey. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I moved out here with a five-week-old baby and a two-year-old son and my wife, and I had never written anything in my whole entire life, and I moved here, except for a couple of comedian bios when I was w working at the Improv, uh, and I was about 25 at that point, and uh, I just had it in my heart, you know, that, that I wanted to do this, you know, and, and so... Um, I hit the ground running, you know. I wrote, I wrote all these. I read this book about how to make it in Hollywood, and they said write these letters, okay, uh, for informational interviews. And I met I met some really cool people that way. Most importantly, I met Jonathan King, who um, runs uh, Participants Production Arm now mm -hmm. and uh, particip Participant Media, who is a saint. He, he was such a great guy, and he was an assistant at that point. And I'd written his boss, and he said, "Well, come on down." He worked at Miramax, and he let me. Um, read some scripts for free for them but then he introduced me to all these people and he, he's a good friend to this day um one of the high points believe it or not was meeting jonathan king and the high point writing wise um i had a really uh good friend um and writing partner in the early days uh, named kevin hinch and kevin uh writes on tim allen's sitcom now and he does a lot of stuff with adam carolla right um and in the early days kevin and i had never sold anything we met each other when we were readers at turner pictures right and um and that was the best time in my writing career i think oh. when he and i were just uh i'd just gotten a divorce uh, unfortunately mm -hmm. and kevin and i were just trying to figure out how to make it and so we decided to write together and we we sat at each other's house night after night after night trying to crack each other up you know kevin's a good comedian too and um trying to get this in and lo and behold it worked you know i did i had no idea how i was going to support my children and and just miracle miracles kevin and i sold our first script and then i sold one right away after that and um it it was the best feeling you know we we just had this friendship you know and, yeah. and, and it was great and some nights you know we'd stop writing and we'd get drunk and play video games you know <laughs> right i love that i love that and, you know, all part could, of the routine all part of the yep. routine you know it was great and that first sale was just just wonderful it was one of the best feelings i've ever had in my life oh i think that's fantastic yeah. thanks for bringing us into that that's wonderful yeah. 
And I remember our writer meeting uh, when I was an executive at Spelling. That was in a, a very memorable meeting. For I me remember too. your voice <laughs> impressed me even way back then um, because it was so raw and so real and it had depth, which, which I think what is good for people listening to really understand. I think when you come from a background of a lot of pain, that there's actually a gift if you can do the emotional work to process it and understand how to bring it to the page. Yeah. Because there is a massive connection with your audience. Well, I, I agree with you. I'll tell you a funny story about that, too. One of the first things I wrote after, after I stopped writing with Kevin was um, something that was sort of nakedly autobiographical. Of course, I didn't tell anybody. Right. And um, uh, my agent's assistant called me. <laughs> or My agent passed the story to me, but my, she said basically, Craig Machen has such a way with white trash characters. <laughs> and these white trash characters were exactly me, exactly my mom. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, yeah. Isn't that fat? Now, like, even ter- looking at yourself that way, how you don't look at yourself that way now. That's white trash, no. no. Yeah. Um, uh, the transformation probably all happened at 23. Right. Is N- more earlier than that when you first had your first child was 23 yeah right after I turned 23 my first son was born so okay so I would say that th- I mean this is a question actually that so everything that you saw growing up when you had the opportunity to be a dad what perspective were you were coming from I mean I know in the book you revealed obviously there would be some fear right of what you saw right and and how did you deal with that? Well, becoming a dad was a lot of different things for me. It was like, you know, there's your first blood relatives, you know. Uh, here's your family at last, you know. Here's this amazing feeling of being home. And mm-hmm. here's like here's like falling in love with all your heart and never spending one second worrying about if your love is misplaced. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's also sort of like, you know, <laughs> Uh, building a skyscraper with your bare hands. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so um, that that did allow me to sort of relax a little bit, you know, and start to process this stuff. And um, and you do it in waves, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that did have everything to do with how how, uh, how my writing voice came about, yes. you know? Yeah. Because initially, you know, you know how it is because you work with so many different writers, you know. In those early stages, you're trying to imitate other people. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to be cool. Yeah. And you're sort of too much thinking about the fantasy of what this writing will be like. Right. Being a writer, you know, and all this right. stuff. And uh, gradually, you take your knocks and you start to realize, well, you have to sort of lead with what's in your heart because that's the that's the, there's a bottomless well of that. Yeah. And um and quit trying to be artificial. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing that happens as you get older anyhow, right? Yeah. You know, and gradually you when you do that, the sound of you slowly comes out of you, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's well put. I like that. N- with your now your features. Tell me so you've created longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and p- I, a large part of your longevity Correct me if I'm wrong. Has been in rewriting other features. Is that correct? Well, I've rewrit- I've rewritten features. I've sold specs. I've 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 um I've written stuff like from other people's one-liner or other people's um, article. Oh, um, things like that. Um, I've done almost every kind of that, 
And um, and then uh, so do is that like a business that you do? I mean, like I I am always fast because I always get people calling me with ideas, yeah. saying I'm not a writer. Do you know someone who could write this? And there was a, an executive who I had had lunch with, and he sure. told me when he was in New York, he had a business that that's what he did. Oh no! Um, and I thought that's fascinating. That is fascinating. When I say other people's idea, I mean like MTV's article, right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, VH1. You were hired sentence. by yeah. other people and you to, to write. It out, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I haven't done that. Uh, that kind of thing. No. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I've, it's still matching an idea with a writer, and you're having to start from scratch from one line or whatever. Definitely. That how was that process? Uh, good. You know, you you I literally did a did a movie that didn't get made. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For VH1 one time, where the the log line was, "Someone finds a baby on a rock band's tour bus with a note that says one of you is my daddy.'" Okay, and wow. I was actually somebody's daddy at that point. I really needed the money. Right. And 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 you know, all these jobs are great jobs. Every job you get in Hollywood is a great job as long as it pays you, right? Oh, and that's um, a great way to look at it. Definitely, because yeah. it, it allows you to support your people. It allows you to support yourself. Allows you to feel good about yourself and all this stuff, right? Um, th- that sentence got modified slightly when I got hired to somebody finds a baby on a rock band's tour bus with a note that says one of you is my daddy at Christmas time, and and so <laughs> and wow, right what a difference! I, yes, right after I got hired to write that one. Um, they quit running anything at all on VH1 and, and started running the Paramount catalog of movies. You remember right. when that happened? Right. And I still had to spend a year writing that one. So um, I guess I've written under every kind of circumstance. My rewrite work has, has been largely, um, uh, I did, a, I did a, a script for Ben Stiller's company. With, uh, I worked with Stuart Kornfeld. Another big highlight in my writing career was right. working with Stuart. Right. Such was he a mentor? Uh, not so much, but I wish he was. I mean, right. he's such a genius and yeah. he's got 9,000 different things going on at any given time. But every hour I got to spend with him, I was like, oh my God, this is right. happening, you know? Yeah. And I did that for, I rewrote a script for them for, and for Fox that was kind of a surfing comedy and it was one of the great thrills of my life to work Surfing with is a big part of your life. Yeah, definitely. Is that a meditation? Absolutely. I, yeah. I love it and I come to it late, you know, I didn't yeah. start surfing until my early thirties. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. And now, um, with regards to the transition, I think I have a lot of people who listen who, number one, they want to know how do they get a job as a reader? Mm-hmm. Number two, how, what is the transition of going from reader to screenwriter? Ooh, I can't, that's interesting. I'll start with how to get a job. You know, I feel like that with all this stuff, you know, when, when we follow our passion, you know, I'm so on your page with that. You know, you, you follow your bliss, that kind of thing. We, you must, Yay. you know. And um, so you got to also be ready to work for free, yeah. you know, initially. Yes. So if someone gives you an opportunity to read scripts for free or something like that, boy, you better take that. Yep. You better be so excited. And you better act like you're making a million dollars an hour to do it. You know what I mean? Great Cause, advice. Because then you're in the door. Then you become valuable. And then they think, well, let's throw this guy $45 a script. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how it started for me. And, oh, and, I love that. And I can't think... And I, I, every time I've done that in my life, you know, there's other there's other places where I did it. Uh, when I worked rock concert security, uh, I was such a big rock fan um, in Oklahoma. Um, they promised us ten dollars a night, and they paid us zero. Right. <laughs> but it was just to be there. But you, know? you were at the concert, yeah. right? Exactly yeah. on the stage, standing yeah. there. Um, and so with uh, with uh, uh, the transition. I first of all can't imagine a better education than reading scripts. You know, don't you agree? Because yes, you, I totally agree, a hundred percent. You have to defend your opinion. Yeah, and and so um, that's 
how you do it. You start yes. thinking critically about other people's screenplays, and gradually two things happen. You get a sort of picture, a map in your head about how to write one, and then you get this confidence of like, I have read a thousand, literally a thousand ter- terrible scripts. I could do better. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Great motivation. <laughs> right. Right. And so uh, that was how to make the transition. And I'll tell you something else. I was in the door. Right. So my first script I sold was to the Jim Henson Company where I was working as a staff writer. Oh, great. And so I, I knew exactly so what they wanted. that's a great wanted. way to get in. Yeah, I knew yeah. what they wanted. I knew what exactly they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And I just I just figured out an idea along those lines, and, and it worked. Oh, I love that. I love when writers make use of, like I remember recently, probably within the last six months, I, I, I have people who come to me from time to time saying, Jen, this is what I'm looking for. Do you know any writers who have this? Mm. And I'll post it on Facebook. And I posted this one thing that a guy, he had the financing. He was looking for a comedy short that was uh, uh, got born identity-like, okay. action thriller short. Mm-hmm. And so I put it on Facebook. And I can't tell you how many writers and this is what I was impressed with, how many writers said no because they didn't have it versus the select few who were like, I don't have it, but I'm going to write it. Yeah. And I'm going to send it. And I was like, that's how you make things happen. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. I have this theory that like uh, gumption will get you further than talent. Yes. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree because I... I was th- I had this conversation today. I said, you know, when I think about all the writers that I've worked with and the ones who have sold pilots or staffed or sold features versus the ones who have not. And I try to think of what is the common thread because my my honest feeling is that there are talents on on both sides. Right. There are talent. So it's not to say one is more talented than the other. Mm-hmm. My 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 opinion is that the thread is belief in self right. and gumption, gumption, essentially, knowing that it's going to happen and making it happen. Right. Yeah. So I definitely believe that because otherwise there there's no other excuse when you see that these incredibly talented writers, and it's not to say I think there are plenty of talented writers who have a ton of gumption, mm-hmm. who still are not in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and the universe is not conspiring, maybe because the universe doesn't want them to do this. You know, so it but I, I think my feeling about writing is if you feel like you have to do it, you have to honor that. And Absolutely. you have to deliver the message and accept your role as the messenger. You know, so I I am, you know, I'll have people who will ask me, certainly in the economy as it is, people will say, Jen, do you think I should be doing this mm-hmm. after we've worked on several scripts together? And and I, I look at them, whoever asked me this question, I've been asked it many times, and I say, only you can answer that question. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're asking it, you need to look at that too. Mm-hmm. So it it really is at the down. It's not to say we all have doubt in moments. We yeah. all have doubt, but you have to move through the doubt and power through. I can't tell you how many times I heard the word no in my career. Mm-hmm. I mean, countless times, and and it got to a point where no meant absolutely nothing. All no meant to me was find a different angle and get in that way. And right. it really is true. So you know, I would say my everything that has gotten me where I am 
has come from from the visualization, the meditation, the hard work, the putting the energy out there, the believing that it was going to happen. I mean, after I lost my job after 15 years, mm -hmm. it was like, what's next? I mean, what am I going to create? And, and, and the idea of the business was I just saw it. Mm -hmm. I saw it. I thought this is my path and everything that I've done up until now led to this and and so when i saw you that you'd written a book yeah. i knew that i was excited because i knew it, it was time for you to write a book after you had done feature tv everything else for the last 20 years yeah. i thought oh i want to see what his voice is on the page in a book yeah you know <laughs> thank you yes <laughs> So, um, all right, so winding up here, let's see, a few more questions. Have you, now, mentoring, have you been mentored by people? Definitely. Yeah, uh, Jonathan King, for one, um, and then my cousin Mark, he, he owned, uh, when I was growing up, he was a stand-up comedian. Yeah, I remember and, in the book. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he was on the Dinah Shore show right. and the Merv Griffin show, and it made a big impact on me. And I got to meet him later um, when I was about 20, and I took this, or 19, I took this trip out to, um, with one of my crazy stripper girlfriends right. um, to, to San Diego. And I just, I ran into him, and he just took me under his wing, you know. He is a deeply eccentric person, you know. Um, but he was an expert marketer and mm -hmm. he had an eye for talent like you could not believe. And um, uh, he inspired me so much and continues to inspire me to this day. Just, uh, just, just the sort of idea that I come from the same thing as him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, then, and then his approach to it, his, his sort of nonstop, keep hammering away approach to it. Yeah. Was, was really a big, a, big, a big influence on me. Oh, I love that. And then a million rock stars, you know. And what about your, as far as your mentoring others? Uh, always, Good. always, always, always. I, I think I'm a teacher at heart, you know, yeah. and, and um, I, I, you know, I, I do a lot of teaching. I, again, at writers' conferences, and I teach at the Orange County High School for the Arts, and I always, you know, coach the soccer teams. And Can and, people go to your website and find out where you're going to be? Uh, or I'm, is it on your website? I'm not going to be anywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, my in, the <laughs> in the future, <laughs> that's true, because these teaching are more private teaching, oh. where people are a part. Well, but you talked about writer conferences. Yeah, I do these. Uh, they're kids. They're for kids. I do, oh, I do it for I this thing that. called uh, the Young Writers Conference, and we go to schools and, and teach kids how to how to write uh, stories, you know. I love that. Do that kind of thing. And Good for you. Thank That's you. great. Yeah. But so people know about your book. So should they buy the book on the website or should they oh, buy the book on Amazon? Amazon. Amazon's great. Uh, it's also on Barnes and & Noble and, uh, and uh, iTunes. And um, uh, Amazon's my favorite. Great. And let's see. So last question. Yes. Advice. Yeah. Like looking at, if, say if you were talking to yourself at 23, knowing what you know now, mm -hmm. how would you guide your path? I would say uh, stop drinking a little earlier, Craig, <laughs> <laughs> because you're wasting time, man. <laughs> and um, uh, I would say, um, though seriously, I would say follow your follow your passion in life because you are going to, and, and, and happily I did, um, uh, you're going to be miserable if you don't. And uh, I'll t can I tell you one, one quick story? Of course. Uh, when I was in Arizona and I was running the improv out there uh, just as I was finishing up college, 
I was red hot miserable. I, I felt like I was in exactly the wrong place in my life. And, uh, you know, I was happy being a dad, but I felt like, no, I cannot stay here. I cannot stay in Phoenix. I can't, I can't, you know, and I hadn't written anything yet. And so I, I hired a psychologist and I went and I sat in that room with her and she helped me in some ways for sure. Um, but then I said, you know, I have this thing in my heart where I, it, it just tells me I want, I want to be a writer, you know? And she said to me, yeah, but you're not a writer, are you? And so, and I said to her, no, I'm not. And then I'm so glad I didn't listen to that good advice. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that story. <laughs> so anyway. Do you think your intuition told you that writing was your path? Without a doubt. Okay. Absolutely. So trust the intuition. Definitely. Great. That is a fabulous note to end on. And I am going to, let's see. So one more time for everybody, Craig. This is Craig Machen, M-A-C-H-E-N. And his book is Still Life with Brass Pole. Yes. And I highly, highly recommend this book. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you for having me. So excited to see where you were, where you are, what you've done, the growth in your voice. And and really, it's it's a pleasure to see things all coming together. Well, thank you, Jen. I you, really appreciate it. You got it. My pleasure. Uh, this is Jen Grisanti, and let me think. Announcement-wise, this Saturday, October 22nd, I am going to be speaking at 2.30 p.m. Uh, I forget the name of the library. It's on my website. It's for GLAWS, the Greater uh, Los Angeles Writers Society. I'm going to be doing a seminar on Storyline. And then uh, there's something after the event, and there's going to be book signing and all that. So if you are in the L.A. area and you would like to attend, you can either look up the GLAWS website, www.glaws.com, or look up my website, uh, jengrisanticonsultancy.com, under events and seminars. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today. It's been great, and I'm very excited about all the information that came out. And uh, this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.